Welcome to Spectrum, the show that discusses news and topics that affect Southern Nevada and the surrounding communities. Now your host, Jim Tofty. Welcome to the program. We've got a pair of very interesting guests this morning. Later, Academy Award-winning filmmaker Ken Burns talks about his latest documentary on the history of the Mayo Clinic. But first, it's part two of my discussion with Review Journal business columnist Rick Falada. In part one, we started talking about the parking situation once the Raiders Stadium goes goes up. What are the options, including maybe even parking in people's neighborhoods? Rick, welcome back. And it's a smaller issue, but uh, do you see people, this is another thing they do in Green Bay, and I know different cities, they actually, residents rent out their driveways for people. Yeah, uh, and there's probably not uh, too much of that in the area. I mean, if if you look at some of the businesses that are actually just to the west of the stadium there's a lot of uh, I, i've driven through that whole uh, area it's a lot of warehousing a lot of uh, uh, industrial type uh, locations right. so there is some parking in there that potentially could be rented out by the owners of those those places and i'm sure that that may happen as well the uh, the raiders are not really counting on that as part of their parking plan though because uh uh, they 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 were told by the, the the Clark County Commission that you need to secure areas that under they're under your control. So uh, these private uh, parking opportunities uh, may exist at uh, some of those locations. Again, if you, if you drive through there, there's a lot of uh, a lot of land that's vacant at this point in time. But I'm sure that there's some ownership that might uh, see a, a potential of making a profit on Sundays or or Saturdays for that matter. Uh, and they would be within walking distance of the stadium. And then let's not forget that uh, what's on the other side of Interstate 15, uh, there are several several places there that are owned by uh, primarily MGM Resorts International. They've got the uh, Mandalay Bay, they've got uh, uh, Luxor, and they've got Excalibur, like uh, very close by and definitely within walking distance because one of the plans is to have some sort of a pedestrian access over the freeway, uh, whether that means building a new pedestrian bridge or whether that means uh, just closing off one of the streets there. I believe Hacienda goes over the top of Interstate 15 right near the stadium. So you'd, you'd, they'd be able to uh, uh, close that off to only pedestrians and people can walk across. Uh, one other aspect that um, seems to be in play, and I don't know, whether this has got any basis in reality because we haven't seen any forward progress on it, but that being the Las Vegas monorail. The Las Vegas monorail currently, uh, the end of the line is the MGM uh, Grand uh, Hotel, but there is a plan in place to extend that another mile over to uh, Mandalay Bay. So uh, if that monorail line were to be able to be extended, then people could park anywhere along the monorail line Take that into the uh, to the final stop, which would be at Mandalay Bay, and then just exit and walk across the highway uh, over these uh, pedestrian corridors to the stadium itself. There seems to be a lot of possibility in that, and certainly there would be uh, thousands and thousands of uh, parking uh, spaces along that uh, that monorail line that could be used. Uh, I know personally myself, I've gone to uh, Golden Knights games. Yeah, yeah. Parking along that. Uh, Site and then taking the monorail over, it seems a lot easier, and you get away from from the from the, the big traffic jams. And, and that's one of the things that the Raiders kind of emphasized in terms of 
developing this four satellite lot uh, parking plan. That being that the traffic is dispersed. You've got four different entries and exits to different places where people can park their cars. So not everything is going to be jammed up in one specific location. That, that was one of the things that was a scenario that they had developed was that, well, maybe we'll turn the, uh, the golf course there, the Bally High Golf Club, into a parking lot, and then people could just walk to the stadium. It's probably about a uh, half mile to three-quarters of a mile if you did that. Uh, but the, the fact is is that uh, then you'd have every single car parking at that particular place and the possibility of a big traffic jam uh, right there is uh, pretty substantial. Interesting. Rick Falata, the uh, business columnist for the Review Journal, joins me. You know, I've been to Cleveland a couple of times, and I was amazed how you could get to everything on foot. The football stadium has great walking paths leading to the city, then the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and from there you can go to the baseball stadium and then the Cavs Arena. It's good to hear that some of those things are, are going to be options here. Yeah, well, I, I think that anytime you have the opportunity for a walking traffic or public transportation. Um, uh, you know, I, I've been to, to, to the place you described in Cleveland, and I think that's great. They've got a, several parking garages right close to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that yeah. I'm sure are used uh, heavily during baseball and football games as well. Um, City of Denver has something similar to that. They've got their light rail system that stops uh, within uh, a couple blocks of Coors Field, and it actually has a stop right close to uh, the stadium where the Broncos play. So uh, I think a lot of the forward-looking cities that have mass transit, uh, and unfortunately Las Vegas isn't quite in that league yet, but uh, if they have such a, a system available, that's something that fans can definitely take advantage of. And, 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 you know, by the time the Raiders get here, there's going to be a lot of plans in place for, you know, shuttles from casinos, shuttles from uh, – neighborhood casinos, shuttles from bars that are our fans. Um, I think that the, they've even had some of that already in play with the Golden Knights. So it's not a, a stretch to see that a shuttle bus system from different outlying areas to the games would be something that would be put in place. A limited amount of parking right at the stadium. Is that going to be mostly VIP parking there? I believe so. I think that that's uh, going to be the, the people who have the uh, wherewithal to to buy some of the uh, the luxury boxes. They'll probably get to park close by. Uh, one other thing that's kind of interesting, and, and this is something that will be discussed at an upcoming meeting of the uh, stadium authority, is that uh, what, what can you do as far as tailgating at the stadium itself? Well, they actually do have a space there that they can utilize for tailgating opportunities, that being the uh, area where the field grass is grown. And for those who are unfamiliar, what the what this stadium is going to have is they're going to have an outdoor field that will be built on a tray, and that tray will be slid into the stadium for game days. So that area where the where the tray usually is outside to uh, for the grass to grow is going to be open for uh, game days because the the, uh, the field itself will be in the stadium at the time. So huh. that uh, is about the, the the area of a of a of a standard football field that can be used for tailgating 
actually right close to the stadium, right next to it. An interesting comment was made by Don Webb, the chief operating officer of the Las Vegas Stadium events, who said that this stadium really is the first to be built in the age of rideshare. And I know that a ton of people who use Uber and Lyft for nights games and other things. Do you see this, you know, really as alleviating a lot of the problems as well? I think that uh, that'll be a good part of it. And, and one of the things that they have done in terms of the site planning for the uh, the stadium is to actually have a kind of a, a bullpen area there for rideshare specifically. So there'll probably be an area specifically for taxis, specifically for rideshare, where you actually uh, – uh, the, the, the vehicles that, uh, that use Uber and Lyft – We'll be able to, to move into those, drop people off, and then be available to uh, move out when people request a ride uh, after the game is over. So, uh, and that is literally right across from the main uh, north entrance of the stadium. So, a very easy walk to get to the rideshare area, and they have definitely planned this in, in, in mind. Uh, you know, one of the things that, um, that I've talked to some of the, uh, transportation people with the uh, RTC, you know, they, we, we talked about what what is going to be the next step for Uber and Lyft. And I think a lot of people around Las Vegas have heard this because we have CES in town, but having these rideshare vehicles that are um, uh, self-operated, you know, they're, they're uh, basically vehicles that are driverless. What, what's going what's gonna to look like in, in 10, 15, 20 years when presumably the Raiders are still here, they're still playing football, yeah. and then they have these 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 driverless vehicles that are around, um, you know. And there was some speculation even at the RTC level that, well, you know, maybe you have cars that are so advanced technologically that you um, you you drive to a stadium, you get dropped off, and then you program your car to go home. You know, and then come back and get you with the game. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty wild and pretty forward thinking. But, uh, but um, wouldn't that be something if that were to be the case uh, uh, for this? And, and I think it's kind of uh, uh, interesting that the Raiders have even thought a little bit about that uh, by putting, you know, by devoting some specific space to the uh, rideshare uh, area, the rideshare community. Rick Falata joins me from the RJ. You've lived here a long time, as have I. And one thing is for sure, Vegas builds fast. It was the case with T-Mobile and a lot of other buildings. And it certainly is true for the Raiders Stadium. They're on a timetable and they seem to be following it. This can be good and bad, yes? I don't know that it's bad, but definitely for the Raiders, it's good. That uh, yeah. you know, and, and I think that... Anybody who drives past that uh, that site uh, will be amazed every time they drive by. They're going to see another piece of the uh, puzzle put together. The uh, uh, m- most of the the, the below ground uh, amenities are are in place in, in terms of uh, electricity and and drainage and things like that. Um, and now you're starting to see things going vertical. Uh, and and once we start seeing the steel going in which I believe is going to be by the end of this year, then you'll really start to see some big change. You'll actually say it and, and you'll say, wow, it actually looks like a stadium. Um, right now you can see the uh, the elevator shafts for some of the upper levels of the stadium that are in place. And um, uh, there's probably about uh, at least a half dozen cranes on site. And we haven't even seen the big cranes. When the big cranes come, That'll be really sensational because those are the things that are going to be able to lift 
the uh, the roof into place once that uh, once it gets to that level. That, that's not going to happen until next year probably, but but still the anticipation is great, and uh, the, the the planning on this stadium construction is so sophisticated because they've got um, a program that uh, in their you know their computerized uh, planning systems that basically tells you exactly what's going to be worked on day by day by day. So if you if you want to look out at day 220 on on the on the schedule, you can go to that day and find out what work is going to be done that particular day as things get moved into place. So very well thought out. Uh, obviously these these uh, contractors that are building this have done this before. They right. uh, just completed the basketball arena at uh, Milwaukee for the Bucks. Right. They've built um the uh, stadium in Minneapolis, the U.S. Bank uh, Stadium for the, where the Vikings play, and, and a number of others. They've got uh, more than you know more than a hundred sports-related projects behind them, and so they every time they do one of these things, they learn a little bit more. And I think that experience is really paying off in terms of the organizational skills that they have in place to get this done when they say it's going to be done, which would be. Uh, presumably July of uh, 2020. There are a ton of uh, projects going on in this town besides the new baseball stadium. Is the price of steel, the tariff situation, is that entering into this yet or or have we been okay so far? We've been okay so far and and fortunately a lot of the the purchases for some of this steel for for some of the major projects was completed before this tariff issue rose to the surface. So uh, that's particularly the case for the uh, for the, uh, uh, the Las Vegas Stadium uh, that the Raiders are, are building, and then um, that's also the case for the expansion of the Las Vegas uh, Convention Center, which uh, also is going to be built and completed by uh, late 2020. Uh, but fortunately, I think for taxpayers that are involved in this, uh, specifically for the uh, LVCVA uh, project, the uh, uh, steel was ordered prior to some of these uh, discussions about uh, tariffs and, and some of the steel transactions that have occurred uh, with other countries. So um, a lucky break on, on that part by, I think, a lot of people here that they, that steel order has already been in place. On a different topic, Rick, you recently wrote in your column that New Jersey is likely to surpass Nevada as the top digital gaming state in the nation. Can you elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, well, you know, it's it's pretty easy to understand why that would be the case. When you look at the population of New Jersey versus the population of Nevada, there's there's really no comparison. They, and they've got a market uh, nearby with um, New, New York, New York City's right right, right there. That uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be able to to uh, place sports wagers in uh, in New Jersey. That market is growing. It's only been in place. For a few months, but the 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 projection is, is that by uh, within a couple of years, or I think three years, that that market will surpass Nevada in terms of the amount of sports wagering uh, that that occurs. And again, I guess that's not a big shock because um, Nevada population-wise is pretty small compared to New Jersey. Uh, even though we have a lot of people coming in from California that place bets and that uh, visit on a regular basis, that's not going to surpass. Uh, that's not going to surpass the tremendous volume that they have in the state of New Jersey with New York 
city being right close by. Rick Vallada is the business columnist for the Review Journal. Never a lack of things to talk about, and I certainly wish we had more time. Go to Rick's Twitter page, at Rick Vallada as well. Nice talking with you, Rick. I do appreciate all the updates. Well, thank you, Jim. I, I appreciate you having me on. My next guest is award-winning documentarian Ken Burns. Chances are you've seen some of Burns' films on the Civil War, Thomas Jefferson, the Vietnam War, and much, much more. Ken's new film is about the history of the Mayo Clinic. A visionary approach to medicine. The needs of the patient come first. Was invented over 120 years ago. I couldn't have asked for anything better for her. I've got another 25, 30 years in front of me for sure. Faith, hope, and science, those three things are absolutely critical. You are never alone in your efforts to find an answer to that patient's problem. Ken Burns presents the Mayo Clinic. Good morning. Ken, welcome back to the program. I believe the last Thank time we... Thank you so much for having me. Ken, I believe the last time we spoke, it was about Jackie Robinson, and that was fantastic. Thank you so much. I think you'll enjoy this new one as well. I've seen a lot about this. I've seen different uh, little clips of your new documentary on the Mayo Clinic. I also see that you call this Minnesota's Grand Canyon. Why is that? Well, it's not so much Minnesota's Grand Canyon. It's America's Grand Canyon. I think what I've said is that I've been interested in focusing on subjects that sort of reflect back to us the best of who we are, and sometimes the worst. But, uh, you know, in films like baseball and the Civil War and jazz and whatever, the national parks, and I, I just realized that participating in the Mayo Clinic is like standing on the rim of the Grand Canyon. You look at something that's awe-inspiring, stunning, complicated, uh, an amazing history, in the case of the Grand Canyon, geological, in the case of the Mayo Clinic, human. Um, but it's it's American, it's ours, and we should take a great deal of pride. And I would suggest, given the incredibly screwed-up state of healthcare, that we ought to look about... <laughs> Uh, some of the things that, that the Mayo Clinic does right and try to emulate it, which is something that we haven't done. Who is the Mayo family? Because this goes back to the 19th century, doesn't it? Yeah. So in 1846, an English immigrant named W.W. William Worrell Mayo uh, landed in New York City, worked for a while as a chemist at Bellevue Hospital, moved out to the Midwest, and eventually settled around the time of the Civil War uh, in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, he started a small family practice. His two young sons, yet to go to medical school, would be working with him. His wife was assisting. He would always not charge a patient if they were unable to pay and was incredibly dedicated, a great spirit of social service. In 1883, there was a devastating tornado that destroyed most of uh, Rochester, and in the midst of him and his young sons trying to tend to the wounded, he asked the Sisters of St. Francis that had a seminary if he could use their rooms kind of as as as, as beds. And uh, Mother Alfred said, of course, but then came back to him and said, I had a vision from God that I was to build you a hospital here in this cornfield and that you would be the chief surgeon and that it would be renowned for its medical arts. And Mayo's an agnostic. He says, yeah, right, sure. You know what it costs to build a hospital. And why are out here in the frontier? And she says, if I do it, I want you to be the head of surgeon. Promise me that. So they shake on it. They build the hospital. It's called St. Mary's. It's still there to this day. The nuns are still there. Their Franciscan values inform a great deal of how the Mayo clinic, and I don't want to say secret sauce because they share it with everybody, what their ingredients of their recipe is. They're nonprofit. 
and they plow everything back into patient care, into research, into innovation, into cutting-edge technologies. Their doctors are on salary. Uh, no, that means you're not going to be rewarded for unnecessary procedures and tests and operations, which fosters a culture of collaboration. Um, they put the patient first, which seems obvious, but if you think about it, it isn't. The right. doctors are always first, or worse, the hospital administrators are worse than that. The health insurance, uh, you know, executive is that. But here the patient is first. They put the pathology next to the operating table so that they can get the results before they sew you back up so you don't need a second or a third operation. I mean, it is just so well engineered. In addition to having these incredible values that sort of run current to the cutthroat ruthlessness of a, of a, of a sort of, you know, the way most for-profit hospital stuff is about, um, they do the exact opposite. Whenever they discover something, they share it with all their colleagues everywhere in the world, and they still do great. In fact, they were just rated the number one hospital in the country by U.S. News & World Report again, which means to me they're the best in the world. And this is a life and death thing. All of, None of us are getting out of this alive, and we want and we deserve to have the best health care. And if you lift your head up around and look, you could do no better than to model things on the Mayo Clinic example. Is this a place for everyone? Because uh, I've always gotten the feeling, well, v- VIPs go there. Well, no, 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 no. And you'll see in our film, uh, you'll meet uh, Tom Brokaw and, and uh, John McCain, uh, the late John McCain and the Dalai Lama. We don't dive into their stories. What you'll meet are 17, 18 other people who are so-called ordinary people from all around the country who, you know, are in a situation where they've seen 15 doctors. It's hopeless. Either they have a diagnosis and it's a death sentence and they're just being told, get your affairs in order, or they all these specialists, nobody knows what it is, and one goes to the Mayo Clinic and is cured and the other goes to the Mayo Clinic and gets a diagnosis and can be treated, and they go off and you just shake your head as if this must be an anomaly. Look, we're, we're not. This is not sugar-coated. People die. Think, you know, access is complicated in the United States um, at all healthcare care facilities. Uh, diseases are pernicious, and, and, you know, there's not always a happy outcome. And, in fact, eventually no one will have a happy outcome. But, you know, sort of dollar for dollar, uh, moment to moment, this is the best place on earth and uh, for everybody, too. And, uh, and it's destination medicine trying to treat pe- people with chronic, very serious things. And because they're nonprofit, they're able to take people who are not necessarily the sultans who fly in and, and, um, you know, reserve the, the top floor of the hotel and, and zoom out. I know one of the scenes that moved you was one where a professional violinist was able to play again after undergoing deep brain stimulation yeah, therapy. I, I, you know, you know what? This is like the center of this film. I've seen this scene 150 times, and I saw it again last night at a screening we had in New York City, and it still moves me, and it still more than moves me. It's stuns me. It feels like this must be magic, but without giving it away, this guy is a concert violinist, and he develops a tremor, and it's getting worse and worse, and the doctor said, well, I think I can... All the other 15 specialists don't have any idea. They drug him up, and he can't play because of that. He finally goes to the Mayo Clinic, and the doctor said, well, I think I can fix you by drilling a hole in your head. He goes, no one is drilling a hole in my head. (laughs) And then... The story gets really complicated in which he undergoes brain surgery 
in which he's conscious and has to play the violin in surgery. That sounds like something right out of a movie. Yeah, we're only halfway through this story, and it is it is so stunning to see that each night I get goosebumps just watching it again, even though, of course, I can recite it word for word and know exactly what's going to happen. It's It's spectacular. It's miraculous is the only way you can describe it. And things like that are happening every day at the Mayo Clinic. And I look, I don't want to take away from other great hospitals around the country, and there are great ones, but Mayo consistently comes out on top as the best hospital in the United States, in my mind, therefore, in Earth. And it's, it's just to understand the history and how it got there, to understand the way in which they're swimming upstream against trends in medicine, is so interesting and it makes you think, you know, I, this is not a political film. I'm not trying to argue about healthcare in this film at all, but it makes you think that, wow, if you just took the head of Mayo Clinic and put him in the room with, you know, six other people and said, whatever you decide, we'll accept, Democrat, Republican, we'd have the best healthcare in the world. I'm assuming that we will walk away from this with a new discussion, though, about our healthcare delivery system. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to have civil and civic conversations which we don't do anymore in our country. And I think that when you tell a good story, um, it's going to give ideas. We treat our audience with intelligence. We're not sitting there hammering our way either from the left or the right about this form of health care or that form of health care. We just acknowledge, you know, look, the politicians have hijacked health care. It's become a binary thing, which is my system is right, yours is wrong. And we've been held hostage to that. But sitting right in front of our face is an example of healthcare at its very finest, and that maybe we ought to stop, take back the conversation away from the binary world of the politicians, good and bad, black and white, which of course doesn't exist in nature. It's all much more nuanced and complicated than that, and say, look, we deserve, it is our right to have an extraordinary healthcare to accompany the great medicine that's being practiced in select spots around the country, and no spot is doing it better than the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, with its satellite campuses in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Jacksonville, Florida. Certainly looking forward to seeing the Mayo Clinic, Faith, Hope, Science, Ken Burns' latest documentary. Always an honor, Ken, and, and thank you so much. Great to be with you. Thank you. Ken's film is currently on all the streaming platforms and available on Blu-ray. Thanks again to Ken Burns and my first guest this morning, RJ Business columnist Rick Vallada. And of course, thank you for tuning in, and I hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at 7.30. Spectrum is hosted, written, and produced by Jim Tofty. If you have suggestions, on future guests or topics, please send them to spectrum at smiradio.com.